0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg And now he will come to explain Hillel's famous saying his question in the beginning was, when the convert came to Hill and says, "Teach me the Torah, give me the entire Torah," with a Madison Avenue signed soundbite, and Shame threw him down the stairs. Hill says, "Yeah, I'll, no problem. Don't do unto others what you don't want to do to yourself." And the rest is commentary. And the question now the Tamil Sadek asked is, the this would explain. This would be the source for all the mitzvah between man and man. Which explains Rabbi Akiva's statement. Love your fellow Jew like yourself is a general ruling in the Torah, is a general <coughs> heading in the Torah. But what's the connection between love your fellow, don't do unto others what you don't want to do to yourself, with the entire entire including the mitzvah between man and God? What does that have to do with putting on film? Why is that? The rest is commentary. Why is putting on film a commentary and don't do unto others what you don't want to be done to yourself? even though we explained earlier the the reason for the mitzvah of love your fellow Jew like yourself, but the truth is that there is a much deeper deeper understanding of this mitzvah and benefit that one gains by fulfilling the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew like yourself and vice versa by not fulfilling this mitzvah and to understand this, you first have to understand Hillel's statement Hillel's statement was actually um, used by, Lahavdil used by the Christians, they said, what's the golden rule? Do unto others what you like to be done to yourself. That's a direct quote from Hillel. But actually they changed it to the positive. Do unto others what you like to be done to yourself. The question is why did Hillel say it in the negative? Don't do unto others what you don't like to be done to yourself. Why did he say it in the positive? Do unto others what you like to be done to yourself. What you like to be treated, treat others. But the truth is that they misunderstood, they totally misunderstood Hillel. Hillel was telling us something very, very deep. Much deeper than just do unto others what you like to be done to yourself. Treat others what you like to be treated. Hillel, by saying it in the negative, don't do unto others. What you don't want, here you see the Jewish depth. Hillel was saying something that totally eluded the copycatters, totally missed the whole point what Hillel was trying to say. And the answer is, what did Hillel mean? What's Hillel referring to? Don't do unto others what you don't like to be done to yourself. What's the thing, the one thing that a person hates the most? That bothers us the most? What's the one thing that you don't like to be done to yourself? What, what's he referring to? What's that one thing that no one, no one likes, no one enjoys? Shame. Shame. Criticism. Criticism. Maybe it leads to shame. Criticism. No one in the history of the world has ever changed. A person can't hear criticism. You just can't hear it. Although we know better than anyone else that the criticism is, is earned, is well earned. And because we know ourselves better than anyone. They think it's bad. They don't know how bad it is. It's much worse than they can even imagine. And yet we can't accept criticism. We can't. We can't hear it. We just have a blind spot. We shut down. We just... We just don't hear it. We can't hear it. Why? What's so, what's so terrible about criticism? Why can't we hear criticism when we know objectively that it's so true? Why are we in denial? What's painfully obvious to everyone around you, we're the last ones to know. We're the last ones to see ourselves honestly and objectively. And, and that's almost, it's almost impossible for a person to see himself honestly and objectively. We just read in last week's Torah portion about the power of shaykhad, bribery. That bribery distorts the wisdom of even the wise, a wise judge. That's the power of bribery. It plays, it plays tricks on your mind. Is there greater bribery than a person involving himself? A person can, is a bribe because when it comes to anything that affects you personally, we're automatically bribed. We can't see ourselves honestly and objective. It's impossible. It's humanly impossible no matter how smart you are and how clever you are on the contrary the smarter you are the more you the more you distort and rationalize and create all clever arguments how right you are the power of bribery is so powerful that the Torah says that a high priest a high priest the most spiritual Jew represents the entire Jewish people on the holiest day, entering into the holiest No, is not allowed to sit on a court case that decides, in a court that decides whether the year, the Jewish year should become a leap year. The month of Adar, this month, the Jewish Supreme Court, at the time when the Jewish Supreme Court was functioning in Israel, they would sit and decide whether this year is going to be a leap year. So the, the high priest is not allowed to sit on this panel and decide why. Listen to the reason. Because on Yom Kippur he has to go to the mikveh five times no less, so he wants Yom Kippur to become close to be as close to the summer as possible. He doesn't want to make it a leap year because if it's a leap year, Yom Kippur is going to be closer to the fall to the, to the winter. It's going to be cold, so he's going to have to go into a cold mikveh. He doesn't want to go into a cold mikveh. Think about this: the high priest, five, six months. Who's even thinking about Yom Kippur? A Jew six months before is thinking of Yom Kippur is not a yeki. Whatever, and. But what's he thinking about? Subconsciously, he doesn't even realize it. He's colored by his own self-interest. It's going to affect me. He can't be honest. He can't see honestly. He can't. It just distorts. And he'll find every reason in the world to argue, you know, let's make him it early. (laughs) And he won't even realize it. To that extent. When Sarah laughed, Hashem said that Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, is going to have a baby, she laughed. Hashem said, why is she laughing? She didn't even realize she was laughing. Sarah said, I didn't laugh. It was like subconscious. Didn't even realize she was laughing. Because a person is delusional. A person cannot see our capacity for self-denial. is infinite. (laughs) And this is not because we're foolish, or because we're not brilliant, or because we're not honest, or we don't have other qualities. the, The Torah calls you a Chacham. The Torah calls this person a pikach, a wise man. The Torah calls him a wise man. Not he thinks he's a wise man. The Torah acknowledges that this is a genuinely wise man. But when it comes to his own interests, he just can't see it. It's just a fact. It's a reality of life. It's like the famous story with the Taz. Taz is a great commentary in the Code of Jewish Law. And once he had a court case, he was a businessman, and he had a court case with his partner, and he thought he was right. They didn't want to go to the Local rabbi, because everyone knew the Taz, you know they couldn't they couldn't give his partner a fear hearing. So anonymously, they went to this little village. Of course, everyone heard of the Taz; he was the greatest Jewish leader in his time. But they they heard, but they they never saw a picture of him. This was in the 16th century. 17th century, never saw a picture of him, so he went to town rabbi, didn't introduce himself to Jews, traveling Jews. We have a court case, a business dispute, would you please listen to our case? Sure, the rabbi listened to the case, and his verdict was that Taz lost the case. Taz was stunned. He was, a, he was an honest person, a genuine person. He wouldn't take this, this fellow to a court case unless he thought that he was right. A lot of money involved. He starts arguing with the rabbi. And he overwhelms this poor little rabbi. He's it's like Einstein is having an argument with a, f- a fourth grade physics teacher. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like overwhelming him. The rabbi looks at him and he says, listen, I don't know who you are. What you're saying is very convincing. It makes a lot of sense. But what should I do? The leader of our generation, the greatest rabbi in our town, called the Taz, in his book he has exactly this case. And according to him, you lost the case. <laughs> and he shows him black and white. And the Taz grabbed himself and he realized the power of shayuchat. The Taz was a brilliant man, an honest person, a genuine Sadik. But he couldn't see himself. When it came to himself, he had a blind spot. He totally amnesia. He totally forgot. Because that's the power of shaykh. So a person cannot hear criticism. Not because there's something wrong with a person. It's just human nature. He can't be honest with yourself. He you can't be objective with yourself. And no one changes because of criticism. People hear it and they just turn out and tune out, out and turn off. And, and nothing moves and nothing changes. Well, why not? Why can't we hear criticism? When someone points it out to us, we know that it's true. We know better than anyone how, how true it is. Why can't we hear it? And the answer is, it's not the criticism that we can't hear. It's what's implied with the criticism. The person is not saying that something, you did something wrong. But the, the message that we're hearing is, you are wrong. Something wrong with you. You are wrong. And that we can't hear. As a matter of fact, if criticism is given to us by our best friend, who we know loves us unconditionally, we actually welcome it. It's called honest feedback. It's the most precious thing on earth. It's the most precious thing on earth. People don't have it. That's why the Mishnah says, harab. every person that ever pleaded, begged, Every person, especially the person who thinks he doesn 't need it he 's the person who needs it the most. Beg them, plead it. I say it doesn 't mean make yourself a rabbi, a superior person to you. It's someone to inferiority, but honest feedback because a person 's ego will only distort for, for yourself when it comes to another person. Our egos are brutally honest. The customers are brutally honest with they have no interest in lying to the if they're not interested, the product is no good. They march with their feet. They're out in a second, in the blink of an eye. They're out. They're not interested. No excuses and no stories and no baba mice. They're not interested. The mark, as false as a world as we live in, this world is the most brutally honest place in the universe because people are brutally honest with each other, not with themselves, of course not, <laughs> but with others, brutally honest. And when people tell you, they tell you like it is, and they're right. they not, not. They have no interest in lying. They tell it exactly as they see it, honestly and objectively. So the most precious thing that a person could have in life, and the person must have, the Mishnah says, you have to have a selah haram. You have to have honest, objective feedback. Uncolored by any, any distortion, just seeing it as is, as the MS is, as the truth is. Brutal, brutal honesty. A person actually welcomes that. A person could have honest feedback. That's the most precious thing in life. That's the most valuable thing in life. Companies will pay millions of dollars just to get honest feedback. Because which company is interested in reading their own press releases <laughs> and, and start believing their own, own propaganda? I mean, that's, that, that's, that company is doomed. It's over. It's so precious to get back honest feedback, brutally honest feedback. You're not interested. If you want to stay in business, you're not interested in, in just patting yourself on the back and deluding yourself and shutting your ears and closing your eyes and pretending everything is wonderful when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the ship is sinking. You want honest feedback. That's the most precious thing. So if someone gives us honest feedback, we value it. If it's coming from a loving place, from a good place. Because it's not a rejection of the person. It's not a rejection of me. It's it's a sharp rebuke. It's a rebuke of the behavior. And that that we have no problem with. The problem is the personal rejection. When people label us and define us and dismiss us. We pigeonhole a person, we label them, we define them, and we dismiss them. That a person cannot accept. That's not acceptable. Because even though we know our own faults, but we love ourselves unconditionally. That's just human nature. You want to know what unconditional love is? It's a love of ourselves. And it works on many levels. <laughs> Firstly, we're perfect. We don't see any faults in ourselves. We're the last one in the world to know of our faults. Everyone around us knows that it's so painfully obvious that we're the last one in the world to acknowledge that there is a problem. The light is blinking red and the whole place is sinking already. No problem. Calm. Nothing. No problem. We're the last ones when the Titanic is about to sink. Then we acknowledge (laughs) oh, you know, maybe there's a problem. So that's number one. The human capacity of self-delusion. Scary. But that's number one. Number two, even if we acknowledge the problem, God forbid we should take the blame for it. No, no, no. It's not my fault your fault. It's everyone's fault who's pointing out the problem. It's my mother's fault. It's society's fault. It's everyone in the world's fault except my own. But even if the problem is so glaring and it's so obviously my fault that I can't even blame anyone. So what? I still love myself. I still like a baby at my... I don't lose any sleep. I'm not planning to change. Not today, not tomorrow, not anytime soon. I, I, I'm very comfortable in my own skin. I'm very comfortable with myself. I still love myself unconditionally. Knowing my fault, knowing I have no one to blame, it's totally my problem, totally responsible. I still love myself unconditionally. That's called unconditional love. The love for ourselves is unconditional love. Not we love ourselves because we behave properly, or we love ourselves because of our qualities, or because of our strengths. We just love ourselves, period. Every human being loves themselves unconditionally. In spite of what we know. In spite of everything. It doesn't bother us. Yes, we know our fault. We know our fault better than anyone. No one knows. No one even knows half of the story. <laughs> we know the full story. <laughs> and still we love ourselves unconditionally. We sleep like a baby at night. We accept ourselves. We're comfortable. Isn't Yechias an exception to that, though? When you go for heels with the Rebbe, and he tells you something like it is. Oh, Because again, it's com- you know it's coming from a loving place. Everyone in the world welcomes honest feedback. It's the most valuable thing on earth. It's the most precious commodity on earth. It's the rarest commodity on earth. The Jews would pay. I don't know of any other people on the earth that would pay. They would pay a magid, an itinerant preacher, to go around giving them musr, to give them honest feedback. they have only going would pay someone to give them personal musr. People would pay its most precious commodity on earth to be able to get honest feedback. But if you know it's coming from a loving place, you welcome it, you love it. It's stinging, it's sharp, but you know, it, you know it's coming from a good place. The person is not rejecting me. They're not labeling me and rejecting me and dismissing me and pigeonholing me. And, and, but that's very superficial. They see the whole person, they love the whole person, and because they love me, it bothers them and it troubles them about this particular behavior because we expect better from you. I'm not criticizing you, I'm criticizing your behavior. There's a saying in Yiddish, it's pasnish. It's not befitting for someone like you. Someone like you, is not befitting. We expect better things from you. That you can hear. The person is not putting you down. The rebuke is actually an expression of love. Because I care about you, and I love you, and I care about you, and because you're precious, and you have such precious qualities, and you are precious, why are you self-destructing? Why are you behaving in such a foolish way? Such an Self-destructive way. Such a harmful way. So that you can hear. It's not pleasant. It's like when the doctor comes with a needle. It's stinging. But the doctor first washes the place with alcohol. Make sure there's no germs. Before you administer rebuke, you have to to clean the... You can ask the doctor here. You can clean, clean, you have to sterilize the... Sterilize the... Make sure there's no germs. There's no... And then it's stinging, yes, it bites for a second, but it's, it's, a, it's a medicine. The injection is going to help you. So before you rebuke, you have to wash, you have to make sure there's no germs, there's no, there's no ego, there's no putting down, There's no it's genuine, it's honest, and it's loving. And then, yes, it's biting, but the person can, can receive it. And then it's beneficial. Like the Torah says, rebuke your fellow Jews, one of the 613 Mitzvot. But the Torah says, don't hate your Jew in your heart. Your fellow Jew in your heart, if you hate, you can't rebuke. Rebuke has to come from a place of love. Do You rebuke because you love them and you care about them and you love them unconditionally. And when a person feels that and hears that, then they, can, then, then they can receive the rebuke. It's like the rebuke of a parent. When a parent rebukes a child. That's the most loving thing a parent can do to a child. Because it's more painful for the parent to rebuke the child than it is for the child to receive the rebuke. The parent loves the child to death. And it's painful. When a parent has to discipline a child, it's more painful for the parent than it is for the child. Otherwise, the parent is an abuser. We're not talking about an abuser. We're talking about a normal parent. The parent loves the child. But it's the ultimate act of love because the parent loves the child unconditionally. And because the parent cares about the child, the parent is ready to inconvenience himself, to hurt himself for the sake of the child. And the child sees that. What's painful is not the slap or the hit or the... Disorder. What's painful is they see the pain in the parent's eyes, that the parent is so pained that they had to discipline their own child. But that's the most loving thing, because the message that the parent is giving to the child is that I care about it. And I care enough that I'm going to inconvenience myself and do something that's painful for me. I don't enjoy it, because I know it's best for you. The rebuke that's based on love, we can receive it on the contrary, It strengthens us. It's the most precious, most valuable thing, the rarest commodity on earth. More precious than diamonds, more precious than anything that exists in this world. We have no problem with such rebuke. The problem is with rejection. When rebuke becomes rejection, people stinging and biting and rejecting and harsh and, and, and dismissive and not affectionate, it's not loving or kind, it's just evil, it's just negative, and that we can't accept, because we know deep down, and it's coming from a good place, deep down we know there's more to us than meets the eye, yes, we're not behaving properly, but there's more to us than meets the eye, what meets the eye is just the surface, but there's a depth to us, there's an infinite depth to us, there's an undefined depth to us. There's a godly, godly spark to us, and you can't just dismiss a person, label, pigeonhole them, and dismiss them. Oh, I, get, I figured you out, I got you. That's, that's so superficial. There's so much more to each and every one of us. How can you just dismiss someone like that? Just because I did something terrible, that means it's all over? It means you, you, you caught my essence and you dismiss me? That's so superficial, that's so skin deep. So we reject it, correctly so. We reject criticism just for the sake of criticism, or harshness, or biting, or, because that, that's not affected. That's not helpful. doesn't do anything. doesn't help anyone. And we dismiss it. And that's what Hillel is saying. Hillel is saying, don't do unto others what you don't want to be done to yourself, just like you hate. Just like you hate. The thing you hate most in the world is criticism. Why? Because you love yourself unconditionally and you know that there's a part within you that's undefined, that's much deeper. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. It's much deeper than this individual behavior and that individual behavior. There's an inner, inner depth, an undefined depth to each and every one of us and you can't just pigeonhole a label and dismiss. So Hillel is saying, don't do unto others. Treat others the same way. Because the, your fellow Jew is, is you. You and your fellow Jew are inseparable. And therefore, overlook their their faults. Just like you overlook your own faults because you love yourself unconditionally. When you should love your fellow Jew like yourself to such an extent that you don't see any criticism. just like when you have a best friend. You see their faults. You're not blind. You're not foolish. But it doesn't bother you. You see their faults and you still love them. So nobody is perfect. Someone else sees their faults and gets all agitated and excited and, and all worked up and you're horrible and you're, you're, you're terrible and, and gets all excited. You see all the faults of your best friend. You know, it doesn't. So what? I still love him. He's a great guy. Nobody's perfect. Just like on your own faults. So you love yourself. So what? I have faults. I'm human. It's okay. I still love myself. So that's what Hillel is teaching us. Hillel is teaching us that the midst of Aves Yisrael, and this is the depth of Hillel's, Hillel's statement over Rabbi Kiva's statement. And the Rebbe used to always refer to it as loving your fellow Jew like yourself, Aves Yisrael, and then there's a deeper level. It's called Achtus Yisrael, the unity of all Jews. Not loving your fellow Jew like yourself, but that all Jews are one. What's the difference in loving your fellow Jew like yourself, and that all Jews are one? Loving your fellow Jew like yourself means that I am perfect. But, in addition to my own perfection, like icing on the cake, I also have friendships, and I also respect other people, and I also treat others respectfully, just like I like to be treated. But I am a whole person without the other person. Jewish unity, Ach Israel, means that we are one and inseparable. Meaning, that I am a half without the other Jew. What's a half? Slice a person down the middle, what do you have? You have half? You have nothing. (laughs) Half means I'm nothing without the other. It's not that I am a whole person, the other person is a nice addition to my life. Interesting addition, nice addition. Without the other person, I am nothing. That's a half. So when you love your fellow Jew just like you love yourself, Then, just like you don't see your own faults, you love yourself unconditionally, so too you love the other Jew unconditionally. You don't see their faults. You see their faults, but it doesn't bother you. You don't get excited about it. This is the idea of a half. We just read the Shabbos, parashash golem, with a half a coin. Everything in Torah has to be whole. Why does the Torah insist it has to be a half? Because on the contrary, it's when a Jew realizes that you're only a half, that the other Jew completes you. Without the other Jew, you're only a half. It's only with the other Jew that makes you whole. And that's why the Jewish tradition of marriage, Jewish tradition of marriage is a marriage, it's two halves. It's not two whole. It's not that I am a whole person and the other person is like icing on the cake and it's, it's, it's a nice addition, a compliment to my life, a nice addition to my life, a nice trophy, something to, a prop. Marriage is based on the understanding it's two half souls. I am half without the other person. What's half? Half means I'm nothing without the other person. The other person makes me complete. I am not a whole person without the other person. It's not that I'm totally whole and dependent, I don't need the other person. The other person is a nice addition to my life, brings some things to my life which are nice, pleasant. It's much deeper than that. That's avas Yisrael, that's love. But that's not ach Israel. Yisrael. Israel means it's two half souls. That I am half. I am nothing without the other person. The other person makes me whole. And the ability to be a half is something that only exists in this world. In heaven. When marriages are made in heaven, there are no marriages in heaven. Because angels are whole. Angels can never get married. because Angels are perfect. When you're perfect, you can't get married. It's impossible. There's nothing the other person can add to you. When someone is perfect, I have no room for the other person. Where, where am I going to find time for the other person? Where am I going to find a room? I have no room. Maybe I'll put it into my calendar. Maybe I'll find a time that's not day and not night. And Maybe I'll, if I have an extra minute, an extra ounce of energy, maybe I'll squeeze someone else into my life. Of course, that never happens. It never will happen. That's not marriage. Marriage is when you realize I'm nothing without the other. I'm a half. The ability to become a half this is a godly ability. This is an ability that only exists in this world. And that's why the soul comes down to this world. To realize that you're a half. It's the ultimate. And that's why Moshe was so astounded. He was so taken back. He says, half a coin is going to be an atonement for the soul? Where's a coin found? The coin is buried in the ground. In the ground and earth and deep down in the ground. The depth of the ground. And there you find the silver. So Moshe is saying, out of earthiness, this world which is so earthy and crusty and materialistic, so false, egotistical, this world, and not only the depth of physicality, the depth of earthiness, this is where I'm going to find such a level of unity which you can't find in heaven. Such a godly revelation of unity which you can't find in heaven. Only in this world, which is why only in this world do we have the ability to be create to become partners with Hashem, equal partners with Hashem in creation, to participate in the infinite. The angels don't know what the infinite looks like. Here in this world, in the physical world, husband and wife come together physically, they have the ability to participate in the infinite. Moshe was was totally stunned, taken aback. That there could be such a level of revelation, such a level of unity, such a depth, such such something so noble, so beautiful to be found in the depth of the earth. Out of this crusty physical existence we're going to find something that the angels and the soul, disembodied souls, can never even dream of. Moshe was stunned and taken aback. That's the beauty of the half a coin. That's the beauty of marriage. And that's the beauty of Avas Yisrael. That's what Avas Yisrael is all about. When a Jew realizes that I am half without the other Jew. Half means I am nothing without the other. It's not that I am a perfect person. The other Jew is a nice complement, a nice addition. The other Jew, without the other Jew, I have nothing. As the Jerusalem Talmud gives the analogy, it says in the Torah, you're not allowed to take revenge, you're not allowed to even bear a grudge. Not only aren't you allowed to repay your friend's unkindness, but even if you don't, even if you repay his unkindness with kindness, you're not allowed to bear a grudge. Talmud says, how is that possible? What do you mean? We're human. What do you mean, don't bear a grudge? The guy acted, insulted me, acted horribly. When I needed that, 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 to borrow that sugar from him, my neighbor refused to give it to me. And now he's asking me, he's knocking on my door, and I, I should lend him the sugar. I, okay, I'll do it, but I shouldn't bear a grudge. Torah says, don't bear a grudge. Talmud gives a beautiful analogy. is, imagine your left hand did, did something, was involved in some mischief. What's the right hand going to do? The right hand is going to slap the left hand? (laughs) Who are you slapping? You're slapping yourself. You're hurting yourself. One Jew, the right hand, the left hand, it's all the same. We're one. We're half. Half means I am nothing without the other person. It's me. If I mistreat another Jew, I'm mistreating myself. It's not that I'm mistreating another human being. I'm not paying respect, and I'm not showing the proper respect, and I'm not showing the proper love or respect. If I mistreat them, I mistreat myself. If I insult another Jew, I'm insulting myself. It's not you versus me, me versus you. It's one, inseparable. How can I mistreat myself? It's ridiculous. Would I slap myself in the face? Would I insult myself? That's exactly what you're doing when you insult another Jew. You're insulting yourself. You're slapping yourself. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why the half a coin was the atonement for the sin of the golden calf. Because Moshe Rabbeinu turned to Hashem and said, what did Hashem tell Moshe? Let me erase the Jewish people. Let me press the delete button and start all over again. And we'll build the Jewish people with you. What does Moshe tell Hashem? What are you telling? You're going to wipe them out. You wipe them out, you wipe me out. What's the difference? We're inseparable. It's like it's like he's slicing down the middle. Okay, I'm going to slice you down the middle. I'll cut off half of you and, and you'll still survive. And that's what Hashem wanted to hear. Hashem wanted to hear that. Moshe was the first one to respond like that. Hashem says, in your merit, I'm going to forgive this sin because you get it. You get it. You understand what this is all about. You're the only one who really gets this. We're all one. We're inseparable. I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to save you. It's ridiculous. I'm slicing off the left hand, I'm saving the right hand. So it's, it's, what's the difference? You, then you sliced me, it doesn't make any difference. This is the depth of Aves This is what Hillel is saying. Hillel is saying it's much deeper than Rabbi Akiva was saying. Rabbi Akiva was saying, love your fellow Jew like yourself. There's you and there's the other and you love your fellow Jew. It's an addition to your life. You have to treat them with respect. So this is the general rule in the Torah. Klal Gadol This is the general rule for all the myths of the man and man. Hillel is saying something much, much deeper. Hillel is saying the mitzvah of obvious Yisrael is not just to love your fellow Jew like yourself. It's that you should feel that the other Jew is one with you. It's inseparable from you. And when you love the other Jew, you're loving yourself. And therefore, how is that expressed? By not criticizing the other Jew. Just like you hate criticism of yourself. You love yourself unconditionally despite all your faults. you glaring and obvious faults. You still love yourself unconditionally. So too, love your fellow Jew with their faults. You see their faults. You notice their faults. You're not blind. You see exactly. You know You're perceptive. You see what's going on. But still you love them. So what? So they have faults. I still love them unconditionally. Because you're one. It's like loving yourself. It's unconditional love. When a Jew reaches that level, that the other Jew becomes inseparable from you, and you become one, this is you've reached the essence of the entire Torah. Because the way we treat each other is the way Hashem treats us brought down the Yom Yom Hasidim used to say love your fellow Jew Hashem will love you hold your fellow Jew precious Hashem will hold you precious be kind to your fellow Jew Hashem will be kind to you Hashem is like our shadow it's like a mirror the way we treat others is exactly the way Hashem treats us if we walk around angry and sour faced Hashem will show us a sour face we walk around cheerful and joyful and positive and uplifting and inspiring and energetic and Hashem, Hashem will also smile to us. Exactly the way we behave. That's exactly the way Hashem treats us. And if, um, if we treat each other, we treat our fellow Jew, uh, we love them just like we love ourselves to the extent that we don't see any fault in ourselves. We love ourselves unconditionally. We don't accept any criticism. So too we love our fellow Jew. We don't view them as something other than us. We view them as half of us. We are... Incomplete without the other Jew. And they are part of us and we are part of them and they are us and we are them and therefore we rejoice with their joy and we are saddened by their sorrows. Their pain hurts us as if it's a personal pain, as if it happened to us personally. And their personal simcha is our personal joy. We rejoice. We're happy for them. We're genuinely happy for them. We're not jealous of their joy, of their success in the country. We're genuinely happy for them. And if they're in pain, we're genuinely pained by them. There's no ego. There's no I. There's, it's totally, just like you, we love ourselves unconditionally, we love the other Jew unconditionally because we're absolutely one, inseparable. When we treat our fellow Jew that way, Hashem will treat us the same way. That Hashem says, I am half and the Jewish people are half. Because it's a marriage. Hashem is the groom and we are the bride. It's also a half a soul and a half a soul. Hashem says, I am nothing without the Jew. And therefore Hashem will not see our fault. Hashem will look at us and will have a blind spot. Faults? What faults? When faults? Of course, Hashem sees our faults, knows our faults, and yet it doesn't bother Him. He loves us nevertheless, He look at our faults and say, "I don't care. Bless them, help them, give them whatever they want. I don't care. I don't. It doesn't bother me. Not that Hashem doesn't know the faults. Hashem knows it, but it's totally covered up. It doesn't bother Him. It doesn't get excited about it. When we get excited about another Jew's fault, Hashem gets excited about our fault. And there are consequences. When Hashem gets excited about our faults; bad things happen. When we don't get excited about another Jew's faults, and we rejoice with their joys and we feel their pain, then Hashem doesn't get excited about our faults, and then wonderful things happen, blessings happen, and then we have marriage. So the way we treat each other is the way Hashem treats us. What's it? Uh famous story with the two brothers um, two brothers who got into a fight and uh, they were business partners and they got into an ugly fight and they stopped talking to each other but one of the brothers his first, his first daughter was getting married first child to get married and, you know, fight ahead, fight ahead his brother is only the only living relative he wanted his brother by the wedding he begged and pleaded his brother to come his brother says no, not on talking terms Till our dying day, I'm never gonna talk to you again. But he really wanted his brother. So he uh, he knew his brother loved music, so he hired the best violinist in the country. And his brother that night went to bed, put in his pajamas, went to bed as if it's any other night, totally ignoring the fact that down the street his brother's so excited at his first wedding, and anyway he hires his brother hires a violinist to play this beautiful song under his brother's window and like hypnotized didn't even realize he just wakes up and he's like mesmerized by the music he just loves the music he forgot where he was he forgot where and he just followed the violinist started playing and he just followed him and he walks into the hallway with his pajamas he walks in his brother comes over and hugs him and he says you fool he ended up coming anyway he could have come like a mensch. he came in your pajamas you know but when, when we treat each other, when we treat each other with Amos Yisroel, we treat each other Achzus Yisroel, that the Jew is inseparable from another Jew. We don't see each other's faults. Hashem will not see our faults. It's like the, uh, the beautiful story of Rabbi Zusha of Anipoler. Um, Rabbi Zusha of Anipoler was very poor, and there was a businessman in his town who saw Rabbi Zusha where he davens in synagogue, where he learns Torah. And once before he, before, he before he did a, a business deal, he decided to give him a little money. He gave him a little money, and he had unbelievable success that day in his business deal. Unusual. So he wisely attributed his success to the fact that he's supporting such a holy rabbi. Next time, every time before he did a business deal, he gave him money, and he, the, the gifts became more generous. The more generous he was, the more money he gave him, the more successful he was. And it was obvious that Anyway, this was going on for a few months. Comes Rosh Hashanah, he figures to himself, figures to himself Rosh Hashanah, Kippur, sukkah, so many expenses. I'm going to give such a gift. Rosh is going to have the best Rosh Hashanah he ever had in his life. He'll be able to take care of his family. He won't have to worry. He can sit and study Torah and serve Hashem with peace of mind. So he comes into show with a big gift. Rosh is not there. He says, what happened? Where's Rosh Or Oh, Zusha, every Rosh Hashanah he goes to visit the Rabbi. So the Rabbi? I thought Rosh was the Rabbi. I mean, no, he says, not the big rabbi. the Maggid of Mizrich, Rabbi Dov Ber. He's a student of Rabbi Dov Ber. He says, I'm supporting the small time rabbi. He says, if I am so successful by supporting the small time rabbi, imagine if I'm going to start supporting the big Rebbe. Forget about it, my success is So he takes the money that he was going to give to Rabbi Zushan and his family and comes to the Maggid, adds more money, puts down the money to the table, says, Rebbe, you have a new supporter. And that day on things got from bad to worse <laughs> everything he touched <laughs> everything he touched failed and he just totally lost all his money He's very perplexed he doesn't understand he comes and he poured his heart out he says, please help me understand this I don't get this here I supported you and I was successful I supported your Rebbe the big Rebbe and I lost everything I had Sabrusha looked at him and he says listen You saw a Jew sitting in shul, learning, praying, serving Hashem. Innocently, you wanted to help him out. It was an innocent thought. You helped me out. Hashem decided also, you know, let's help out this Jew. He doesn't really deserve it, but you know, he's being nice, he's being kind, he's being generous. Let's, let's, Let's give him blessings. Let him be successful. All of a sudden he became a wise guy starting to measure. Small Rebbe, a big Rebbe, making calculations. Okay. So in heaven they took a little closer look at you too. They put you under the under the, the microscope. They said, this guy, this miserable creature, he's not worth he's not worth he's not worth, the, he's not worth the, this this success. The way we treat others is the way Hashem treats us. So when we treat each other with Abbas Israel, Hashem also treat us in a loving way. But we treat each other as Hillel said. More than obviously so, Yisrael. Ach That a Jew feels that I am only half without the other Jew. And it's the other Jew who makes me whole and complete. And I'm incomplete without the other Jew. Meaning I'm nothing without the other Jew. Because I'm, I'm just one organ and the other Jew is the other organ. And only together we become one whole entity. And you treat each other that way. As Hitler spelled out so practically. Meaning just like you don't see any criticism on yourself. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't faze you. So you hear criticism, you know you realize the criticism, so what? It doesn't excite you. You love yourself unconditionally, despite the criticism. So if you treat your fellow Jew like yourself, in that sense, what you hate to be done to yourself, you don't do unto others, even if you see criticism in your fellow Jew, and deserve it criticism, you don't get excited, it doesn't bother you. You'll notice, if you're sitting in a crowd, and ten people are discussing an individual, Something negative. Speaking lashon Harder about another person, who is invariably who is the one in the group who always gets the most excited about the other person's fault. The one, the one. The exactly the one who has the exact same fault is always the one who gets the most excited. The one who doesn't have the fault is you know he's smart he sees he knows the other person but doesn't get excited about it. So so he has a fault. So we all have faults. That's a big deal. Nobody is perfect. It would be boring to live with someone who's perfect. But so what? He's human. Okay, tov. Okay, you discovered America. You discovered another human being (laughs) full with faults and and limitations. Okay, fine. So what's the big deal? You don't get excited. It's when you get excited and agitated. You see someone, and that's why a person can't stand criticism. It's the agitation. Why are you getting so excited about my fault? Why are you so agitated? It means you're rejecting me as a person. As if that's the sum total of who I am. Just because I behaved badly in a certain instance, it means that's who I am. You pigeonhole me, you label me, you dismiss me, and that's it? That's so superficial. I can't accept that. And you're right, you can't accept it. Because you sense internally that there's a whole depth to you, beyond what meets the eye. There's a depth that even we're not aware of. There's an undefined, because we have a godly spark, there's an undefined part to us. There's so much more to us than meets the eye. Thank God we're not who we think we are. There's so much more to us. You see, you can't just dismiss me just because I did something wrong. Yes, I did something wrong. And a person would welcome honest feedback if it's coming from a loving place, but not criticism, not rejection. So just like you hate to be done to yourself, Hill says, don't do unto others. Don't reject another Jew just because they have a fault. Don't get agitated. Don't get excited. Love them unconditionally despite the fault. How is that possible? Because you realize that the other Jew is you. You love yourself unconditionally, love the other Jew unconditionally because you and the other Jew are inseparable. It's the same. When a Jew reaches that level, you're able to love your fellow Jew like yourself. And you reach the level, not only of Avat Yisrael, but Achthus Yisrael, The Jews are one and treat each other like one. As the Jerusalem Talmud says, don't take revenge and don't, don't, don't uh, bear grudge against your fellow Jew because it's the right hand, and the left hand. Okay, yes, the other Jew is your left hand, you're the right hand. Be it as it may, but it's your left hand. So how can you, how can you hate or begrudge or, or bear grudge against, against, against your own left hand? So if we treat each other that way, then Hashem will love us. Hashem will treat us as a half. That Hashem is only half without us, and Hashem will overlook our faults and will treat us the same. And that's also beautifully expressed as the pasuk says, "Lehibit Oven Biyakiv." <speaking> Hashem doesn't see sin. Hashem <Hebrew> doesn't see. Hashem will Hashem doesn't see our faults. What do you mean Hashem doesn't see our faults? Hashem knows us better than anyone. Hashem knows our faults better than anyone. But when we don't see each other's faults, and we don't get agitated, we don't get, of course we see it. It's a mitzvah to rebuke your fellow Jew. You have to see what's going on around you. We're not fools. We see and we are responsible to rebuke the fellow Jew. But seeing means you don't get excited, you don't get agitated. So we don't get excited and agitated about a fellow Jew's faults, then Hashem will not get excited and agitated about our faults and will love us unconditionally and shower us with blessings with our faults. And this is be- beautifully expressed in the uh, Talmud says, the word, the word tzibur, Hashem only answers the prayer of the community only if they include the rasha, together with the, the entire community. The word tzibur, which is an Aramaic, the word for, for congregation, we're looking for a tzibur, now a minion, tzibur is an acronym for three words, Tzadikim. The tzaddik, the average, and the rasha, the wicked one. And if you don't include the rasha, then Hashem doesn't answer the prayer of the tzaddik. Because again, if you're excluding your fellow Jew, even the rasha, your left hand, but it's your left hand. If you're excluding your fellow Jew, then you're incomplete. Then Hashem, Hashem means you're, you're being harsh. You're criticizing your fellow Jew. You're seeing their faults. You're dismissing them. You're labeling them. You're very superficial. Hashem will look at us also very superficial. And Hashem will dismiss us. Even the tzaddik. And he won't answer our prayer. But when you love your fellow Jew like yourself, and you present yourself to Hashem as a whole, as the entire congregation, the entire congregation representing the entire Jewish people as a whole, the tzaddik includes, is included together with the rasha, one extreme to the other, all Jews are one, then Hashem will not see our fault. It says Hashem never despises the prayer of a tibur of a congregation. Because when Hashem looks at us as individually, when we pray individually, when we come to Hashem as a loner, as an individual, as perfect as we are, Hashem puts us under the microscope. Are we worthy? Are we not worthy? But when we include ourselves in the congregation, in the community, and we become one and separate with the congregation, then Hashem also will bless everyone, even the Russian. Even though individually we may, may, we may not be deserving of a blessing. But because of the way we treat each other, Hashem won't bless us. And that's the greatest thing that the Rebbe, the Rebbe, did in our generation. That the Rebbe said that the focus of a Jew today, especially post-Holocaust, is that a Jew cannot live as, an, as a loner, as an individual Jew. A Jew has to include himself in the congregation, in the community. Practically, every Jew has to look out for his fellow Jew. You can't just live for yourself. You can't just live a spiritually selfish life. Even a holy life, but a spiritually selfish life. Just focusing on your own meditation and your own spirituality and your own development and ignoring ignoring what's going on around us. A Jew today has to dedicate his life, part of his life, to think about his fellow Jew. What can I do to my Jewish neighbor, my Jewish friend? How can I include my fellow Jew? Invite him for a Shabbos. Invite him. Feel responsible for each other. Feel connected to each other. When you meet a Jew, feel connected. And, and care about their spiritual welfare, and, and their physical wealth. Because when a Jew dedicates his life, part of his life, to help another Jew then you're tapping in to that, you're tapping into, to that energy of cloudy Yisrael, of the entire Jewish people. If you say it in the positive, all it means is do unto others what you like to be done to yourself. It means be respectful, you like people to treat you nicely, treat other people nicely. That's very superficial. That's not what Hitler is saying. Hitler is saying something much deeper than that. Don't do unto others. Just like you can't stand criticism because you love yourself unconditionally and you sense as something infinite, undefined inside of you, if you love your fellow Jew like yourself we, to the point that you are inseparable from your fellow Jew, that you're both two halves of the same, then you love them unconditionally. You don't get agitated. You don't get excited. You, don't, you, don't, you see a fault. Yes, you rebuke them. It's a mitzvah. But you don't get excited. You don't get agitated. You love them despite their faults. That's the depth. Hill, Hill is trying to say the depth. Abbas Yisrael doesn't mean loving and being nice to your fellow man and being respectful, and being a nice person, having many friends. He's saying something much, much deeper than that. That you're nothing without the other person. And therefore, that is the entire Torah. Not like Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva says, love your fellow Jew like yourself. That's the foundation for all the mitzvot in man and man. Hill is saying, the rest of the Torah, all of the Torah, the entire Torah, including the mitzvot in man and God, putting on phil and shabbos, is a commentary to this mitzvah, Because this is the essence of all mitzvot. When you're able to reach a level where you realize that you're one, that you're only a half without the other truth, And therefore you become one with Hashem. Because the way you treat others is the way Hashem treats you. When you become one and you're nothing without Hashem. It's not like we are whole. And Hashem is like icing on the cake. When you realize it's a marriage, it's a relationship. And that we are nothing without Hashem. So we're one with Hashem. So it's not like I'm doing the mitzvot. It's like something added to my life. I have my own life, and I have a life. And then in addition, I have some Torah, some mitzvot that I sprinkle in for good, you know, for good <laughs> safety, for good. But it, this is my life. Torah is a way of life because I am one with I'm half without Hashem. This is my life. I am nothing without Hashem. Hashem is my essence. Hashem is my being. It's my life. It's not like something additional to my life. It's this is my life. It's my being. It's my essence. And when we treat Hashem that way, and we treat each other that way, then Hashem will treat us that way too. He won't see our faults. He won't get agitated about our faults. We know we have them. He won't get excited about our faults. We know we have them. And we could even be maybe in the category, even if we're in the category of a rush, Hashem still cannot be indifferent to our prayers. will answer our prayer and bless us and shower us with, uh, with uh, physical goodness and, and all levels and health and Parnassah and, and family, etc. and everything that we need and the ultimate blessing, of course, which we all need desperately, of course, is Mashiach. the coming of Mashiach, Amen. which includes all the other blessings. When so Mashiach will come, all the other blessings will be included. Everything that we need, whether health or anything that we pray for will automatically be included and incorporated in that. So this is really the essence of the whole Torah, including Tefillin, including Shabbos, all the myths of the man and God. Because it's only when a person, when a person is still egotistical, when you have your own life, you're, you're an ego. And Hashem is like religion, it's a nice thing to add to your life. That's missing the whole point. The whole point of Shabbos and Tefillin and all the mitzvot is to realize there is no ego. Because it's a marriage. Judaism is a marriage, not religion. And in the marriage, you're half, two half souls. You're nothing without the other person. The other person completes you. Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.